If you would, take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Peter, be in chapter 1, again looking at verses 10 through 12. Uh, You're welcome to remain seated as we read God's Word uh, together. Pay careful attention, this is God's Word. 1 Peter 1, uh, 10 through 12. Peter writes, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your word. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword and able to cut all the way down to the depths of our souls and open us up before you. So, Lord, we pray that you would do that this morning uh, with your word, that you would open our hearts, expose sin and grant repentance, build up where we are weak, uh, give us strength where we are lacking it, and help us, Lord, in all things to see Jesus, for we ask it in his name. Amen. Well, it's been a busy wedding season for many of us recently. We've had three uh, Filbert-related weddings over the past month and more coming up. Uh, I love weddings. It's, uh, there's so much to love about weddings. I'm sure you can join me in that. There's the joy of celebration. There's the gathering together of family. Uh, there's the food at the reception, which is always uh, a great thing, I think. But I especially love those moments at the beginning of the wedding ceremony itself, those moments of rich anticipation that you can almost feel uh, as everyone is waiting on the bride to walk down the aisle. The mothers, the grandmothers have been escorted in, the groom and the best man and the minister have entered, and there they stand as the bridal party makes their way down the aisle. And then the chosen song begins, the mother of the bride stands, and that moment that everyone has been waiting for finally arrives. The bride walks down the aisle to meet her groom. It's maybe the best part of the wedding. But really, the best part of that best part, other than seeing the bride walk down the aisle, is looking at the groom as he beholds his bride walking down the aisle to see the look on his face. For this couple who's getting married, everything has led to this They've been preparing for this day. They've been preparing for the wedding itself, working in all the details, getting ready for marriage and life together. They've poured so much into this day. And maybe the groom hasn't seen her all day. Maybe he's not beheld her in her wedding dress. And as you would expect, as, as she walks down the aisle, he fixes his gaze on her in Uh, undiminished joy, taking it all in. And your hope as wedding guests 
Uh, your hope in that day is that the joy of that moment, coupled with the commitment of marriage vows, will form this strong foundation stone on which they can build their life together. There's a wonder, there's an awe, there's a love between the groom and his bride in that moment of anticipation that has now been fulfilled as she comes down the aisle to meet the groom. That kind of wonder, that kind of anticipation met with fulfillment, that's the kind of wonder that Peter is calling us to in this passage. The wonder that comes from beholding the grace of God given to us in Jesus Christ, in the gospel. In the passage that Jeff went through uh, last Sunday, uh, we saw how Peter was writing to people who were suffering. They were enduring affliction for the sake of their faith. Here they are, resident aliens, elect exiles, suffering for the sake of the Lord Jesus, wherever God has placed them. And, And Peter's reminding them, as we saw last week, that it's worth it that the outcome of this suffering is a proving of their faith, uh, an assurance of God's promises. And he says at the end of verse 9 that they receive as a result of their faith, uh, the outcome of their faith is the salvation of their souls. And in our passage today, it's as if he kind of wants to step back for a second and just pause and say, okay, we've talked about how it's worth it. Let, Let me remind you how valuable, how wonderful this salvation is. And so he's calling us in the midst of life's trials, in the midst of suffering and difficult circumstances, he's calling us to behold the gospel as a way of finding sustaining grace, to behold the wonder and the majesty of what Christ has done for his people, to remind us that the testing of our faith is worth it, that what we have in our salvation is worth it. And he does this in, in two ways. And so if you're taking notes, these will be your outline points, since I didn't put an outline in the bulletin. Uh, here you go. First, he highlights the historical reality of the gospel. The historical reality of the gospel. And then second, he highlights the cosmic wonder of the gospel the cosmic wonder of the gospel. Let's look first at the historical reality of the gospel. Notice what Peter says about this salvation that is the outcome of our faith in verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring as to the circumstances and the time that the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that were to follow. Peter is telling us that what these Christians have received in the gospel is part of a larger historical reality. And to show that, he points back to the prophets of the Old Testament. He says there's a continuity here. There's a line that's drawn from them to you, And that line is God's sovereign work in history to fulfill his promise of salvation. And so notice how he highlights this continuity. It's the same spirit. The spirit of Christ, he calls him in verse 11. 
The Spirit of Christ testified through the prophets, helping them to see uh, these promises of the Christ who would come, who would suffer, and who would enter into glory. The Spirit of Christ. And in verse 12, it's that same Holy Spirit by which the preachers preached the good news to Peter's audience. It's the same Spirit inspiring the prophets and empowering the preachers of the gospel. It's the same message. It's the same message. The Old Testament message of the gospel, uh, we can say, is kind of like a flower in bud. And over time, it, it unfolds and begins to come into its full bloom in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's the same message. How, how were believers under the old covenant saved? How was Abraham saved? How was Moses saved? How was David saved? These passages, these verses are reminding us they were saved by putting their hope in the same gospel that we have, except for them. It was a gospel seen through a veil. It was a gospel seen in shadows. It was a gospel seen in promises and prophecies and anticipations that were not yet fulfilled until Christ came. But they had faith in the same promises of God, that he would forgive his people, that he would give them righteousness that would make them acceptable to God. They couldn't see all the details of it because the fulfillment was not yet there for them. It was coming for us, for those who were reading Peter's letter. But it's the same message you could say it this way. Peter's reminding them here that the Old Testament is the soil in which the New Testament is planted and blooms. It's the same message, the same Holy Spirit, the same God, the same good news. Preached to Abraham is preached to all of us, which is a reminder to us what the Old Testament is all about. It's, uh, I think it's probably common to think about you know, the first 37 books of the Bible as being maybe kind of like Aesop's fables. They're good moral lessons for us to learn. You know, you read through the Bible and you've got examples. You see David. Oh, and he was strong. David uh, was strong and he defeated Goliath. And if I'm like David, I can defeat all of the giants in my life. And you look at all these other uh, heroes of the Old Testament and you think, they're there to give me lessons for how I should live my life. Is there some measure of truth to that? Certainly. Uh, we are called to imitate those who have gone before us. But that's not the point of the Old Testament. If we think that's the point, then we're going to be sorely confused when we get to people like Samson, uh, who is exalted, or not exalted, but he's set forward as an example in Hebrews 11 as one who had faith. And then you go and read the story of Samson, and you're like, Am I supposed to be like him? This guy who was, uh, you know, really kind of a messy sinner. He, God told him all these things to do, and he didn't do them, and he did the opposite. And, and am I supposed to be like that? If we miss the point of what the Old Testament is about, then we'll miss the good news. Peter is telling us the prophets, kind of summarizing the whole of the Old Testament. What was their message? Their message was about Christ. That a Savior was coming who would suffer, who would die, and who would afterwards enter into his glory. And it was such a compelling message. Notice what he says here in verse 10. They searched 
and inquired carefully, inquiring what person, circumstances, or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating as to sufferings of Christ and his subsequent glory. They weren't searching and inquiring carefully because of moral lessons. They were searching and inquiring carefully because God had promised a Redeemer. And they were eager to know how those promises would be fulfilled. And that's really the pattern of the whole Bible. It's not just historical events, although it is. It's God's story. It's promises fulfilled in Jesus Christ as his promises unfolding and being fulfilled in history as Jesus tells the disciples on the road to Emmaus, was it not written in the scriptures, the law of Moses, the prophets and the poets, that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and afterwards to enter into glory? All of the Bible finds its focal point in the work of Jesus Christ for redemption. And Peter is telling these believers here that those who came before you, they anticipated it, but they didn't have it in its fulfillment. They had promises, but they didn't have the fulfillment. They had shadows, but they didn't have the reality. They had what we call types of Christ, figures pointing ahead to what Jesus would do through the temple, through the sacrificial system, through the priests, through the kings, all of these were pointing to Jesus, but he had not come in their time. They had anticipation of things yet unfulfilled. You see this even when Jesus finally shows up and he begins to gather disciples to himself. And as they're gathering to him, they begin to ask questions like, are you the one? Are you the promised Messiah? Are you the Christ who we have been waiting for all of these years? Are you the promised one? Even John the Baptist asking that question of Jesus from prison and Jesus responding saying, go tell John, the lame are walking, the blind are seeing, the dead are being raised back to life. Signs that the long-awaited Messiah had come. Peter is here reminding his readers and us of one central truth, that God is faithful, that God keeps his promises, that all that the prophets anticipated has come to pass in Jesus Christ, and we wait for the further fulfillment of all that he has promised to do when he returns. Sometimes to give us endurance through present trials, the Lord reminds us of past grace. And here he is reminding his readers of the promises in the past that have now been fulfilled in their lifetime. They are the recipients of these promises. They have heard that Jesus has come, that he has died, that he has risen again, that he has ascended up into heaven, preparing a place for us. Their faith is built on this historical reality that all that God had promised has come to pass in Jesus and he is reminding us then of this past grace to give us endurance through present trials, to call us to behold the wonder of the gospel. There's lots of ways we can do this. Sometimes it's as if the Lord opens up the photo album of your life. Some of you know what a photo album is. It's a book with a, a cover and a back and usually three rings down the middle. You can take pages out and put them in that have pictures in them. 
or you can just pick up your phone and look through your photo album that way. Either way, uh, it's the same net effect. Sometimes the Lord opens the photo album of our lives and he says, look, remember that moment when all you could see were dark clouds? And I showed you, didn't I, that the sun was shining brightly behind those clouds. And at a certain point, the clouds were scattered. You saw my faithfulness. Or he says, look here, look how you were downcast, and yet you trusted me. And did I not prove myself faithful in the midst of those moments, in the midst of your pain? Or those harder pictures. Look here, when you despaired of your sin and you thought, will it ever be different? Will I always do the same thing? And you thought there was no possibility of real change, of real transformation. Remember how I laid a rod of discipline on your back but I gave you Christ as a staff to support you through repentance. Jesus opens up the photo albums of our lives and he says, look, I'm faithful. I will not fail you. Behold the wonder of the gospel. Behold the wonder of my faithfulness in your life and endure through present trials. Above all of this, though, Peter is saying to us, look, All the way back in the garden, he promised to Adam and Eve a redeemer, the seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent and be bruised in the midst of his victory. All throughout that history, God was keeping his promises over and over again, never failing. And Peter is saying to us, he's kept his word. He's kept his words. The prophets, they they weren't serving themselves. They were serving you. The grace was to be revealed to you. And they didn't get to see it, but they still believed. How much more should we believe and hold fast to God's promises in the midst of present trials? He is faithful. The grace of God has appeared. It is an historical reality. You can see that God has kept his promises And you can be like the prophets if you've not seen it. You can investigate it. You can can pick up the Bible. And you can even go through strange books like, just pick one in the Old Testament. (laughs) Leviticus, with all the blood and all the sacrifices and all these strange rules about how you plant things and what kind of fabrics you're supposed to wear. And you scratch your head and what is all of this about? And Peter's saying it's all about Jesus don't get, don't get lost in the details because he's fulfilled it. It's all about Jesus, the pure sacrifice, the one whose blood is better than the blood of bulls and goats, who truly cleanses us from our sins. He is the holy God who dwells in our midst and has poured out his spirit on us so that we can live with God and not be crushed for our sins because he's made the way open for us. You, you go through any part of the Old Testament And you can see it's all promise. It's all looking ahead. But you've got the other half of the story. You've got the incarnation, the manger in Bethlehem. You've got the cross and you've got the resurrection of Jesus to help you make sense of 
the story. Investigate it for yourself. Remember what God has done and believe. There's an historical reality to the gospel. And Peter wants us to behold the wonder of it. And by beholding it, to endure through present trials. But notice also, Peter doesn't just call us to see the historical reality of it. He says a most interesting thing at the end of this passage. He says, these things that the prophets prophesied and the preachers preached to you, things that you've received, uh, that's kind of past tense, prophets, preachers, they've done their job in some sense. He says, but now, in the present tense, angels long to behold these things. Think about what he's saying about the cosmic wonder of the gospel. That there's a beauty, a majesty, an awe-inspiring wonder to the work of Jesus Christ that even the angels long to understand, long to behold, to gaze upon like a diamond with many facets, and they just turn it. The light hits it in a different way every time, and they see a new aspect of the glory of God in Jesus Christ. Angels are kind of a mysterious subject, I think. The Bible doesn't tell us a ton about angels. Jesus tells us that angels rejoice in heaven over one sinner who repents, so we know that they're witness to the things on earth, to the work of redemption. But this is a mysterious statement that Peter says here, that angels long to look into these things, the suffering of Christ, his glory, the preaching of those truths to all the nations. There's a picture of this in the Old Testament temple. You know the temple has this special room in the inside of it that's called the most holy place or the holy of holies sometimes. And the priest, the high priest, only was only allowed to go into the holy of holies once a year on the day of atonement to offer sacrifice for the people and sprinkle the blood on the Ark of the Covenant. It was in this most holy place. It was supposed to be covered with gold, walls, floor, ceiling, the Ark of the Covenant completely covered with gold, And the room, with no light in it, radiated with the glory of God. And once a year, the high priest would enter in with the blood of sacrifice to make atonement for the sins of the people. It's a picture of Jesus. And there in the middle of the room, this Ark of the Covenant that they had built as kind of the throne of God in their midst and the place of sacrifice. On top of that Ark was a lid. And on that lid were two angels facing each other with, if you can picture it, kind of wings outstretched as if touching each other's wings from across the top of this lid, looking down to the Ark of the Covenant. Peter's saying angels long to look into these things, and it's that reality is pictured on the lid of the Ark of the Covenant where the angels look with awe and wonder at the place of sacrifice, the place where the blood of a substitute is shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And do you know why they look with wonder at this? Because angels 
don't get to experience redemption. Angels don't get to experience the wonder of forgiveness. They are either in or they are out. It seems to be the case from Scripture. But you and I, as we trust in Christ, we get to experience the wonder of having been on the outside and being brought in, of, of being under the curse and wrath of God for our sin and being forgiven and declared righteous in his presence through the work of Jesus on our behalf. We experience grace in a way that not even the angels get to experience. And their response to that is as if they are stooping down to behold and to gaze upon the wonder of forgiveness and grace given to us in Jesus Christ, that a holy God would forgive sinful people by giving his own son in our place to suffer for us and afterwards to enter into glory. Peter is saying, if angels long to look into these things that they cannot experience in the same way that you and I can, how much more ought we to stand in wonder of the redemptive love and power of God's grace for us in Jesus Christ? Peter is encouraging us to endure through life's trials. And the way that he is doing that is by pausing for a moment, backing up to remind us of the wonder of the salvation that God has given to us. A salvation promised long beforehand in the garden. And all of those promises have been kept and fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And we stand on this side of the cross in the resurrection that God has worked throughout history to bring about his perfect plan of redemption. And we have received that through those who have preached the good news. Redemption has been accomplished. It is yours to receive through faith in the promises of God. We've received that, and now we are called to stand in wonder at it, to believe that God is faithful. We've seen it in history. We've seen it in our lives. And to join the angels in beholding the wonder of God's grace in Jesus Christ. How do we endure? How do we grow through endurance? We do what the prophets did. We pay attention to Jesus, and we stand in wonder at all that he has done for us. Would you pray with